he says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, <laughs> right? He's like, I still need to do this. I'm still doing this. I need to proclaim the mystery of the gospel boldly as I ought to speak. Why? Because speaking the truth in love is what we're about. And as believers, we have this awesome privilege to do this. And Paul here takes that idea, kind of extrapolates, or gives you kind of a, a, a seed version of speaking the truth in love in, in verses 17 through 24, where he says, hey, we're putting off the old way of living. We don't live like the rest of the Gentiles live. They're just living for their desires, whatever fits their fancy, so to speak. And we have been given the privilege of knowing Christ and have having our minds renewed in, in who Christ is so we can put off the old way of living, the old self, and to put on this new person that God has made us into, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're, we're living out the truth. And then he goes into these practical examples of how to do that. And they're really everyday examples. Like, if you're thinking, well, how do I speak the truth in love? He's going to be like, well... Like, when you have the chance to be, to lie, speak the truth, you know, like, just like everyday kind of stuff here. If you're, if you get angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's like, do we have the temptation to get anger, angry every day? Probably, right? But don't sin when you get angry. And here he's going to say, hey, what do you do about work? What do you do about work? How do we live our lives in such a way as to say, I am living as a Christian in regards to my work? Because that's what he gets into here in just a very practical way. He's like, how do we speak the truth about work? Last year in 2021, 50 million people left their jobs voluntarily. 50 million people. That's a lot of people when you think about it, right? It's part of the United States of America. Uh, 300, 350 million, something like that. So we're talking like one-sixth, one-seventh of the United States workforce. I mean, not, not just the workforce, but the population, right? Left their jobs voluntarily. It was... Uh, some people have called it the great, you know, the great leaving, so to speak, right? Like, why would people do that? Well, partially through COVID, we realized that what we do is not necessarily particularly satisfying, right? Sometimes it's because we realize the way my work-life balance was set up, I don't, I don't particularly like. Sometimes it's because um, we decide, you know what, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's a lot of, therefore, there's a lot of dissatisfaction in regards to work. And yet Paul here is saying we can speak the truth about work in such a way that we show off who we are as Christians. Not only that, but in some ways this is the biggest area you're going to interact with. When you go home, you're around your family typically, right? You maybe see a couple of friends during the week, but the place where you interact with people the most is work, right? You see the most variety of people, the most different people, the most amount of people typically at work, unless you're like living, working in your room, which frankly a lot of us do still, right, to an extent, but we still interact, we still have to interact with people via Zoom, right? 
There's, we have to interact with people all the time. So in some ways, the biggest area of impact we can have as Christians is the people we interact with at work. Bottom line. And yet, at the same time, we often feel constrained about what we can say, what, what we're able to do, because we're, in a, suppose, in a sense, on the clock, which is true. How do, how do we live in such a way that we can do this? And here, the big idea that I want to uh, get across is that we need to speak the truth about why we do what we do at work. We need to speak the truth, because we can have the greatest impact to help people understand the gospel when we speak the truth about work and how we are doing what we are doing for God. And Paul summarizes this here in a, in a, in a small verse. It's a, it's a, the more you look at the verse, the more you realize that there's so many interesting implications to the verse, okay? And in some ways, I feel like, okay, I'm going to turn into fire hose pastor here where I just spray you a bunch with information. I'm going to try not to do that today. But I'm, try, I'm trying to get you to, get to, get you to see the, the truth and, and how it really impacts what we do and how it really creates a platform for sharing the gospel if we speak the truth about why we do what we do. So let's look together at Ephesians 4.28 and notice what he says here. Ephesians 4.28, I've got to get there myself. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the first thing, again here, we're looking at this pattern in this paragraph where it's, it's, it's giving you a put off, a put on, and a renew your mind aspect to every part here. So we have the put off, don't steal. <laughs> the put on, don't, rather let work, do good work. And then the the renewing your mind aspect of that you may have something to give to someone who has need. Then we explore these three aspects together by putting the first two together in a sense, which is don't steal, but do good work. Don't steal, but do good work. It's interesting, again, how, how this idea of let him who stole steal no longer, or let, let the thief no longer steal, right? It, it, we think of it often primarily in a legal sense, like you took something that wasn't your own, you broke the law. In, in a Greek mindset, you have to realize that their gods stole, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we know the Greek mythology, if you've taken enough, you know, literature and history, right? Their gods stole from one another, right? Stealing was something that if you could, if you could get away with it, you are considered clever, <laughs> tricky, right? It, the, the emphasis is not so much on not breaking the law of, of taking someone else's personal property as much as it is how, how crafty can you be, right? It's not saying don't break the law. It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not saying that. It is saying that. But it's, it's more than that. I want you to think for a second about work and the ideas that you've received from your parents or your boss about work. Have you ever heard the phrase, work hard, play hard? 
or maybe uh, the next phrase, you deserve what you earn, right? If you, if you, if you deserve what you get. Or maybe you've heard this advice if you've, you know, been complaining about your job. Just work for the paycheck, you know. At least you're getting paid, right? Or maybe on the other side, sometimes it's the argument of people should treat one another equally. Like the, the, the job should, should, there should be a fair wage for a fair job, right? There's different ideas that are out there about work. There's different ideas that are out there also then about how you can be crafty about work, right? Like, how can, how can you make, get the most bang for your buck? How can you get the most out of your job and everything that goes with it? The ideas that we pass down, we, we have passed down to us, uh, as in a sense Gentiles, are all driven by desire, a desire to get ahead, a desire to, to, to be get, get ahead in some ways any way you can. And the point here where Paul starts with thievery is not, is, is not to say, as long as you're not a thief, you're okay. Christian, don't steal. And as long as you know you're not stealing, you're fine. That's not what Paul says here. He says, don't steal, but instead do good work with your hands. The, the, the translators here in the ESV, at least, they put it as honest work. But again, it's, it's showing the, somewhat of the bias toward the legalities of the matter. <laughs> but literally, in the Greek the word is translated, instead of honest, it's just good. Do good work with your own hands, is, is literally the phrase. And, and so the, the idea is, is thinking about not just am I legal or not in what I do, but am I doing good? That I, am I doing something that can bless myself and others? Am I doing things that can be of help, of benefit to those around me? Which then brings us back to this idea of we're not just talking about legal or illegal. We're in some ways what we would call talking about the consumer mindset, right? That, that we just are here to consume. That I am here to consume what's good for me, the experiences, the pleasures, the delights that, that, that I want for myself with the life that I have, if it be hopefully 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 100 even, uh, that, that, that's what I'm here to do, is just be a consumer because that's all I can be, right? Like, like what else can I do? What else can I be? I'm going to only live a certain amount of time and then die, right? And that's the way Gentiles, in that sense, as Paul would put it, live. They live for their desires. They live just for what they can consume. And Paul here is saying, that whether you're, you're doing it legally or illegally, the consumer mindset is not a Christian mindset. The, the do whatever you can to get ahead mindset is not, it's not a Christian mindset. It's not necessarily wrong to think, okay, what can I do to get ahead? But it's not the explicitly Christian mindset that makes us do what we do as Christians. I would remind you, Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created us to work. He put Adam in the garden, and he said, Adam, work the garden. Work is not a punishment for evil. 
nor is it a curse. Work is a good thing. It was pre-fall. It was pre-sin. It was pre-rebellion against God. Work is something God does, right? He worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh. Work is not the only thing we do. We're not slaves to work. Slaves to produce whatever we have to produce with our lives. We're not slaves, but we can do good with our work. The work here for labor is the, the word for overcoming boundaries. It's not an emotional agonizing word that there's a word in Greek for that. But it's the word for just overcoming obstacles, overcoming boundaries. Like, okay, okay, there's a problem here. I can solve this problem. I can do good. I can help people. I can overcome a problem. And Paul here is saying, is, is saying okay, don't, don't be clever and try to get ahead on your own. But also, do, seek to do good with your own hands. Like, like find things that you can solve, things you can do. Now, he's not saying you have to literally work with your own hands. Obviously, in a digital age, you might be doing other things besides using your hands. But he is saying that you, you would do work yourself. You would find things to do that you could be of benefit to those around you. God created the Sabbath, but he also created work. And both are good. And if I'm just unpacking this a little bit because if we approach work as simply the thing we, are, we have to do in order to have fun in life, then we're missing the Christian perspective on why we do what we do. Yes, we're not supposed to do things that are illegal, but we all know people who are greedy and do it legally and get away with it, Right? They have a consumer mindset. They're just in it for themselves. And they're doing it perfectly legally. And yet, they're greedy and destructive. And they're like, what's wrong with this, right? It's all legal. So, we are called to work. And to work to do good to those around us. And Paul puts it in this way. He says, and at the end of, so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. And I put it this way, point number two, in order to be generous. So we don't steal, but we do work in order to be generous, in order to, do, do, to be helpful to those around us. Now this word share here is just, uh, we often think it means to, 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 give, uh, to give things away freely, right? Like when we're kids, we're told, hey, share your toys, share your stuff. Like, okay, I gotta share my stuff, okay. I'll give it away for a while. Hopefully I get it back. Um, and, and yes, of course, to be generous means to give things away freely, but it doesn't, he's not, the word here is not necessarily requiring that. In fact, in the the Septuagint translation of Proverbs eleven twenty six. It says that it says it, it translates the same word this way: the people who curse him, the people curse him who holds back grain. But a blessing is on the head of the person who sells it. And actually, the person that it's translated that word for sell is translated is the word that's used to translate share here. 
The, the point in the Proverbs is this, is, is someone who's holding back grain, who's hoarding it in that sense because we're saying, well, there could be, this is kind of a difficult situation, but could, there could be a worse situation. I'm going to hoard what I have to hold it rather than to sell it at, you know, at a, a fair price in order to help out in a situation. You see, that's, the, that's the, what the proverb is, is trying to get across here, is someone who's willing to say, hey, well, there's a need. I'm willing to meet it at, at, at whatever it takes to meet the need. I'm willing to sell, even sell things in order to meet the need, right? The focus is on meeting the need, not what the, what the price is, beyond saying you're not being greedy with your price. Does that make sense? And so, and so he's, he's saying here, in order to be generous, we have to think about, okay, I'm going to work, and I'm going to work in such a way that I can help people out, that I can meet needs, that I can do what it takes. Because why? We, we live in a world that's fearful, right? We live in a world that wants to hoard what we have, that wants to tell our own stories and say, I need to, need to hold on to what I have. And yes, my neighbor has a need, but I might have a need in the future. And so I'm not going to share what I have because I might have a need in the future. And Paul here is saying that's the opposite of why you should work as a Christian. You should work as a Christian in order so that when you see a need, you can meet it. It might mean saying, hey, you know, yeah, you need this rake over here. I'm, I'm willing to give it to you. Just take the rake. Or you might say, well, well I, I've got this rake here and you need a rake, but I need to feed my family. So if you can pay me five bucks for the rake, I'll, I'll take my five, five bucks and go feed my family and you can have the rake. You, you see how that might work? The, the emphasis is not on on am I making a buck or not, the, the, the emphasis is on, am I meeting needs? And I'm looking at the needs in front of me and not so concerned about the future that I can't meet the needs of the present. And when you look at those needs and how people try to meet those needs... There's a lot of different ways people have tried over the years to meet needs. As you, as you think about our situation in, in our culture today and the, the different ideas about work, you know, before kind of the modern state or the modern ideas about work came into place, you had what, what you had, you had feudalism, you know, right? Where basically the state or the Lord told the serfs and the slaves what to do, right? Like, you, you didn't decide what to work, you just worked. In some ways, it's a, a form of fascism today, right? Where the, those who are in power tell those who are not in power what they need to do and how they need to live. Capitalism came along as the idea that the, the market can determine the needs that, that, that are in the, in the present and what, what needs to be done and what, how that should be paid for right? Secular capitalism promoted the idea that if everyone operates in their own best interest, that is, is greedy, it will help everyone, which is not what Paul is saying here. So you have fascism, those in power can say. You have kind of capitalism, we'll just kind of let everyone kind of have a say. And then you have 
Karl Marx who came in and saw the greed that was operating in the 1800s and he's like, hey, we should force or motivate everyone to work for the group, for the good of all. We can achieve utopia if everyone works for the good of everyone, which sounds biblical in a sense, right? Hey, let's just have everyone work for the good of everyone. Except to force it (laughs) actually creates a worse problem. Because to force someone to work for the good of everyone eliminates the creativity that God has put in each one of us to, to meet those needs in creative ways. We're all made in the image of God. We're all made with ways of solving problems. I see problems a certain way. Pastor Chris sees problems a different way. And, and we would see those differently. And God wants us to bring our different creativities to the same problem in order to solve those. And sometimes his work better than mine. And that's good, right? Now you say, well, how does this work? Well, like, which, which system should we choose? The point partially here is, it's, is you don't get to choose oftentimes what system you live under. Like, the North Koreans don't get to decide what system they live under, right? Most of us, frankly, don't have an impact. Like, you were, if you were born in America, you don't really get to choose. Now, you, you, you get to in the sense that you can vote and participate, but you're, most of you can't start a revolution and choose something else. Does that make sense? And the point partially here is no matter what kind of economy you live under, the, the Christian recre- recreation of who we are in Christ allows us to do something different. It doesn't say, I'm trying to create utopia here. It doesn't try, try to say, I'm going to solve all the problems of the world. It says, I'm assuming we live in a fallen world where needs are going to arise. <laughs> and I'm going to need to meet those needs in some way. Like, there's going to be needs that are going to pop up. Like, communism kind of assumes that if everyone works for the good of everyone, then all the needs will go away (laughs) because we're working for everyone. And that's not actually the case. We live in a broken world. You can get a perfect system going and it will break down, right? I mean, how how many years have we been working on the car and our cars still break down? Like, what's up with that? Right? I, I, I can speak from experience. What is that? Why? Because our systems break down. We have needs. You can, you can work as hard as you want, and not always will it produce everything that you hope it will produce. You will come up, there will come a point in time, even when you've worked hard and when you've done the best you can, where you're like, I still have needs that I can't meet myself. I need someone to come in and help me out. And a Christian perspective says, we're not trying to create utopia here. We're trying to say, there's going to be needs that arise. I can do something about those needs. I can do good to those around me. I can work. Therefore, we're not pointing to utopia. We're pointing to Christ. Because our hope is not in solving all the problems of the world. Only Christ can do that. But we are saying he made us, he put us on this earth to meet some of the needs, some of the time. And so, in some ways, what Paul is saying here is God gives us things through our hard work in order to see if we understand what we have been given, right? The whole point of this passage of, in this context is you've been given grace, 
you've been given the grace of Christ's victory over sin and death. Do you understand what you've been given? Do you understand that if somebody might need $100 here or, or a meal there, and you're like, well, I might need that $100, or I might, <laughs> I might need a meal myself, you're, you're forgetting the fact that you've been forgiven of your sin, that you've been given eternal life, that you have these huge needs taken care of in your life. And from that gift of grace, you're able to say, well, man, I've got a hundred bucks in it. I, I don't need it right now. Uh, here, ha have the hundred bucks. Because I don't supply my needs. God ultimately does. But he gives us things through our work. Not so we can say, hey, look, look, I'm a hard worker. Look, I'm a skilled worker. Look, uh, uh, I'm smart. Look, I'm capable. Look, I'm competent. Look, I'm an adult. <laughs> you know? It's for us to be able to say, man, who, who around me could use a little help? Who around me is in need? God wants us to work with that kind of mindset. Not hoping that our work takes care of our needs, but, so that, but because we've been given grace to realize that our work can help us to help others with their needs. And yes, we use it to meet our needs, but we don't depend on our work. The point of our work is not to depend on ourselves, but to remind us of what we've been given. And to use what we've been given to help others. Now, this means, therefore, I'm not saying, let me tell things I'm not saying when I say this. You still need to budget, okay? I'm not saying, okay, you can work hard and you need to give, so you don't need to worry about budgeting. No, you still need to do that. Why? Because God wants you to take care of your family first, right? You still need to, if you own a business yourself, you probably still need to reinvest in that business. You need to think about what's the long-term implications. You're doing good with the business, but can you grow the business to do more good? That's okay to do. That's, that's a good mindset to have. I'm not saying give away everything. <laughs> I'm just saying you have to think it through. Use wisdom to think it through. But what's your basic attitude and frankly, this takes time. This takes a little work. We, we have so many various ideas about our, our lives and, and, and the way we live that need to be kind of recalibrated. Can, can I just use my own story for a second? Like, there's one way I could frame my story like this, and I, I'm tempted to do it often. Like, like hey, I was, in, I was a missionary's kid. My parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, yeah, I lived in the United States, but you know, we, just, we never had much money. And, and uh, I'm a pastor now, so I still don't make a ton of money. I don't have a lot of control over the money I make. So, uh, uh, man, if, if I see a need, I, I don't have a lot. I, should, I probably should hold on to what I have because I've never had much, you know. That could be one way I frame my story, Right? To frame it in such a way that as if I've got to take care of myself, that, that I've never had much, and that if I, could, if, if I see a need, I, well, I can't do much. And that's the opposite of what Paul is saying here, right? 
Paul is saying, hey, you've been given so many good things. Do you have something that could meet a need now? Then, then, then do it. You, you know, Will, you're, you're a child of the king. You're, you're a son or daughter of the king. You, have, you were chosen from the foundation of the world, and, and, and you, you're redeemed, and, and you have an inheritance that's waiting for you. Can, can you live in light of that? Can you, can you make your financial choices in light of that? Rather than framing my story as if, well, I don't have much, so I can't be generous. I have to frame my story the way God sees me, as his child who is sent to this earth to, to do some, some good, right? Frankly, that's, that's why we have a deacon's fund as part of this church, right? Because we say, hey, let's together seek to meet needs that, that we're not all going to see every need that's out there. But people can come to the church and we can say, hey, yeah, let's, let's meet some needs, that's also why we encourage tithing. Why? Because one of the greatest needs this, this world has is for more people to be sharing the gospel. And the majority of what our budget goes to is people sharing the gospel with other people, whether it's missionaries or people here in the United States, people here in Ames that are seeking to share the gospel. We're saying this is what we're sending our money toward, right? Is not everybody can do this full time, but we can give money to help further that. But you know what? I, my parents were missionaries, yes, but they taught me to tithe, right? So I learned, like, like, I think the first allowance I got, my parents were like, okay, 10% goes to God. I'm like, 10%? That's a dime. Man, you know? But you know what it builds over time is the sense of my money is not my own. I'm not going to live on everything I get. But if you didn't grow up with that, it takes a while to figure out how, how do I adjust my, my lifestyle, my giving, my everything I have in order to, to be able to, to tithe, to give 5%, 10%, 15%, to, to encourage others and to bless others. It's not easy to do, and that's one of the reasons why we have groups like core groups and community groups to help us to just encourage one another along the way. You can see how other people live and how other people use their finances in order to be generous, and it helps you to do the same. Over time, it takes a while to figure it out sometimes. Why? Why would we do this? Why would we live this way? And it comes back to something that's not explicit in the verse, but it's implied in the verse, because we have been given grace. And I've already referenced it, right? We have an inheritance. Work does not define your legacy. Your legacy is not bound up in, well, I had this career, and I accomplished this with this career, and that's what my life is all about. Ephesians chapter 1, you flip back there, right? Verse 11 says, In him we have an obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here's what you know about who you are. You have an inheritance if you're in Christ. You have an inheritance. God is making you into the praise of his, of his glory. He's, he's going to turn you into something that is a, is, a, is a reflection of who he is and the glory that he has. And he, he is putting this into you. 
And he has a plan to, to complete this so that you have this inheritance, right? First Peter puts it this way, right? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul puts it this way, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, it's not worth comparing the sufferings we go through in the work that we do to the glory that God has planned for us, to the inheritance that he has planned. Do you get this? It's not he who has the most toys wins. Nor is it, hey, get whatever you can out of life. You have an inheritance that's way more valuable, way more precious, way more secure than any 401k or any amount you can hold in the bank. This inheritance is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And therefore, you can enter into your week and you can choose to do good with your work, not hoping that eventually I can retire or eventually I can do what I want or eventually, eventually, eventually. But you can enter in saying, I have an inheritance waiting for me. I have what I need. And I can operate out of love for those around me and seek to do good to those around me because it's not up to me right now. <laughs> God has this thing under control. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Again, Paul is calling us to be adults in grace. He's saying, grow up here. Do you realize what you've been given? Do you realize the inheritance you have? Don't treat it as this cheap thing that, oh, yeah, well, I've been forgiven at least, but I've still got to do a bunch of stuff or I'm not going to have this great life in heaven someday. No, God has this prepared for you, right? He says or later in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves so that no one can boast, right? Right? It's all of his grace. And then he goes on, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has something prepared for you to do that's good. And it's, it's his crafting. It's the thing that he's preparing and making. You say, well, I've messed it up. I've done so many bad things. I've, I've made so many unwise decisions. I've, I've, I've done so many bad things. His grace redeems even our stupid decisions. I've made some stupid decisions with money, you know. I think 
My, this is one my wife tells on me, and I, I admit it. Like, when we were first married, I was like, hey, I want to do something good for my wife. You know, and this is back, kids won't understand this, but this was back in the day when, you know, there's all these internet, like, hey, you can go on to this location for just cheap, right? And just, you can, they still have them today, but nobody believes them anymore. But I believed one of them. And I was like, oh, I can go to Jamaica for 400 bucks. Oh, this is awesome, right? And, and, and so I, I sign up, and, like, and she's like, what were you thinking? We can't go to Jamaica on 400 bucks. Look at the fine prints, right? You've got to get to this location, and you've got to pay this kind of money, and it's, it's not 400 bucks. It's more like 2,000 bucks. And I was like, oh, that was stupid on my part, right? Stupid. Right? But God can redeem even that stupid decision in whatever way he wants to, right? to his glory and honor. It's not about me making my life out of my wise decisions. It's God's grace in my life, the inheritance that he has planned for me, and the work that he wants me to do on a day-to-day basis. And that's work whether you're at a career or you're retired. There's still stuff you can do. I like what Cal says, right? Don't retire until you know what you want to do, right? That's good advice. Because there's always something to do. God wants to give you something to do. He's not like, okay, just retire, and then you can kind of just do whatever you feel like, you know. That's how the Gentiles live. We are called to live, to do good with our hands so that we can give to those around us in need when those needs arise. I'm reminded of what Paul said to the Philippians. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no one entered into partnerships with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's your story like? Is it like, I'm always a little short. I'm always this, I'm always that. Or is it, my God will supply my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to enter into my week, my days, to do good with what I can so that when I see needs around me, I will be able to help out, hopefully. Can you imagine if you go to work like that? And people start talking about retirement, and you're like, yeah, retirement's going to be great, but when I'm retired, I'm going to do something good. I'm going to just find something else to do because I, just, I know I've got this inheritance in heaven that's waiting for me, and I'm just trying to do a little good until I get there. <laughs> How would that stop the conversation? <laughs> but 
that's speaking the truth in love. We have to be light in this world. This world is dying and falling apart because it doesn't understand the grace of God. And it needs to know the grace of God. It needs to know the love of God. Therefore, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to. We must. Will you do it? Will you speak the truth about work? So that those around you can realize what you've received in Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, whether we're eight or 80, you've given us something to do. You've allowed us to do some good to those around us, to meet needs. And Lord, th thanks for the reminder that work is not a punishment but it's the opportunity to show off your grace and mercy that we have received. Thank you for the, the promise of an inheritance that is glorious that you have prepared for us. So help us to speak the truth about why we do what we do. And may your grace move in us and help us to, to rethink how we use our finances and how we work in order that, that you might be glorified with what we have because our worth is not in what we own it's not in the might of flesh and bone but it's in the precious blood of Christ that flowed at the cross and we thank you for that in your son's name